Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on another cloudy day here in the capital city as once again we put the topic of leadership under the spotlight. My name is Scott Challoner and I'm delighted to be joined on today's programme by Joanne Wood. Joanne is the founder and director of Primary Care Recruitment. Based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne, it is the largest nursing and care recruitment company in the northeast of England. Joanne, very warm welcome to you and thank you ever so much for joining us on the programme this morning. Oh, thank you, Scott. It's lovely to be here. Likewise, it's an absolute pleasure having you, Joanne. Now, the purpose of this discussion really is to understand your take on leadership as a whole. And I think it's fair to say that leadership is something that's really being put to the test at the moment, isn't it? With the emergence of COVID-19, no less, and different business leaders, governments as well, having to feel their way through this uncharted territory. Tell me, for somebody working within um, the care industry, recruitment um, side of things yourselves, how has it been navigating the last few weeks and months? Because I can imagine it's still been a tremendous challenge for yourselves as well. Yes, because obviously we had to think about the safety of our temporary staff and of our office staff. Um, you know, it was it, it was very challenging not not knowing exactly um, too much about the actual um, uh, uh, COVID nineteen. So yes, it was. Um, what we did was we um, stayed in touch weekly with our staff, um, temporary and obviously. Uh, office staff and we ran taxi services um, from door to door for everybody Um, and this was just in the initial beginning because we were very unsure um, of what we were supposed to be doing and what we weren't supposed to be doing so we we decided on a format for primary care and we we made this very very clear to everybody trust and learning to study clients nursing home clients um, and we reorganized everything. We didn't have staff going from different home to different home. They just went to one home um, for the entire um, last few months, really. And um, we were very, very, very particular. I mean, as a nurse myself, I've worked within NHS Trust with SOUR, sorry, SARS, the epidemics. We were also receiving hospitals for the 1990 so these were all very unprecedented events in in my lifetime. Um, so there was some elements of knowing what we had to do just because of the past. Mm, I can certainly understand where you're coming from from that point of view. And with regards to the staff at primary care, how do you think mm-hmm. they have sort of taken to this? Because um, the reason I ask that question is that we've heard some incredible stories during this period of how people have really brought out the best in themselves during this time of adversity and just gone above and beyond to keep things ticking over. And I can imagine you've seen some quite inspiring things from those around you as well. Yeah, definitely. We um, we did give a lot of advice to our to our temporary staff who go out. We have a big mental health NHS contract, um, but there, because we've been working within the trust um, for a period of time, they were still obviously very aware that of what the requirements were, and were very very willing to carry on um, travelling on sometimes on public transport, but mainly within the taxi services. And they were absolutely fantastic on the ward. We received um, emails from the ward managers saying how fantastic the staff were, 
and and just carried on with their everyday work. But I also have to commend my office staff also. They were very level-headed, able to give advice to the staff and remained professional and, and had the ability to explain everything to the staff. And if they weren't sure, we certainly went and found out what the answers were. I can imagine a few of those conversations must have been quite tricky because it's difficult to provide reassurance, isn't it, when there is so much um, uncertainty and that gives a new challenge to employees and leaders having to have those discussions and keeping the communication channels open to try and keep people reassured and that requires a real level-headedness, doesn't it? It does. I mean, it was. It, I, I think it was very challenging Um I think everybody has a COVID moment, <laughs> which mm. we did have once at our office. Um, but, it, you know, I explained that, you know, we were also learning and, you know, trying to do the best thing that we could for everybody and the temporary staff also. And I think, uh, you know, the reaction to that from my office staff was great. You know, as I said before, they were very, very level-headed. And some of the staff are only in their early 20s and never seen anything like this before. Yeah, I've never seen mm. anything like this before. You know, so I can only commend all our temporary staff and all our office staff. I think they've done a fantastic job. And you mentioned the word learning there, Joanne, which is quite interesting because this, albeit it's been an incredibly difficult and tragic time, is going to be one of the biggest learning curves for governments, businesses, um, organisations all over the world, isn't it? So Mm -hmm. for those that do manage to get through this period, there are going to be some positives to take from this in that people have had to consider new ways of working, people have had to adapt and innovate. For a business leader's point of view, there's that vital experience of crisis management. And for employees, it's really going to have thrust them out of their comfort zones and developed their character as well so there's going to be a lot of resilience bred from this period as well yeah i think so too i mean to be honest we've used our time very effectively we had a new booking system put in place um a new recruitment system uh, we did our nhs audit uh, which we actually scored a platinum award which is a hundred percent which i'm very proud about and um you know, we've completely revised our payroll system. And also, I think everybody is thinking very differently and a bit more more thoughtfully about everybody. Um, you know, so I think we've been looking after our neighbours, making sure they're well-fed and, you know, and I think it has become a much more thoughtful place to live. That's really encouraging to hear because I think there has been a real sense of unity during this time and also a renewed focus on mm-hmm. things such as mental health and well-being as well. Um, just backtracking yeah. a little bit, Joanne, of course, you mentioned at primary care you put your own framework um, in place for the sort of working operations of the uh, the company, if you will. Um, do you think that guidance from elsewhere, however, particularly with regards to the government, has been sort of clear enough or do you think you've had to be proactive in putting measures in place yourselves? We put the measures in place in two weeks before the lockdown mm. <laughs> because I could see exactly what was going to be happening. So we stopped training, we stopped interviewing staff, um, and we explained exactly why we did this to every, you know to everybody who still wanted to join us. Because normally we recruit, we normally interview 
50, 60 people a week and also induct for them ready to start working like 40, 50 people. So you can imagine the amount of people that we have had ringing us to explain all of this. But everybody was actually very understanding and understood it. But I think the government um, wasn't very quick to to lock down, especially when they could see what was happening in the rest of Europe. Um, and, you know, we, we did start our lockdown here at the office quite early, um, maybe one week early, but we mm. felt that's what we needed to do to keep ourselves safe. And we haven't had any COVID issues whatsoever within our office. And that's incredibly encouraging as well. And I can certainly see what you mean there in terms of the um, the timescales of what happened. Um, there's been a real debate about proactivity versus reactivity and approaches to this crisis. And there's been yeah. a great deal of comparisons to, say, the Italians, for example, where their lockdown kicked in as early as March the 9th. And we didn't mm-hmm. follow suit until the 23rd of March. So I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. we had procedures in place, but we were taking a little bit more of a laissez-faire approach of let's see how things pan out and then take more measured action and stringent measures from that point. Um, If we sort of take that scenario away from times of crisis and essentially just politics, um, I suppose, Joanne, um, Mm -hmm. would you say that in a typical sort of day-to-day setting, as and when problems arise, you are more inclined to dive straight in and get on top of it straight away as opposed to waiting and seeing how things pan out before acting? Yes, as a nurse, I do not agree with waiting to find out how it's going to be at all. And also as a business a business person, I don't think that would be part of my remit either. You know, you need to be ahead of things. Um, and, uh, yeah, the process was, was way too slow. And, yeah, I don't want to be too political about it because I'm not sure how any any party would fare, to be honest. But I do think some common sense, perhaps, um, I'm quite sure everybody would have been happy to go into lockdown a lot quicker, um, especially when they could see what was happening with the rest of Europe. But, you know, that hasn't happened. But we do need to be careful coming out of lockdown also. People mm-hmm. need to be very aware. And I believe we should be sometimes wearing masks. Um, you know, public transport definitely. Um, in shops, I think we should be wearing masks. Um, um, but, you know, I, I think a lot of people now are actually having to um, decide for themselves what's correct. That seems mm. to be what's going on <laughs> rather than definite advice. <laughs> so I think, I'm not sure. Yeah. Mm. I so think, we're, yeah. <laughs> we we're still going begin. on the yeah, we're still going on the on the premise of what we need to do as a company. So mm. we're sticking with that, to be honest. And that's exact, perfectly understandable, Joanne. I can certainly see where you're coming from from that point of view. And um, I think it's going to take some real leadership from the government level, isn't it, as we come out of lockdown to make sure that the guidelines are well understood as to what you can and what you can't do just to avoid that second spike in cases that we're so desperately trying to avoid. Um, but if we do sort of address what you 
envision for the long term now before we do just wrap things up joanne and what do you think the next year is going to hold for yourself and for primary care recruitment and what do you hope to achieve as we hopefully move through this pandemic and look to the long-term future particularly adjusting to this new normal that everybody is talking about i do think it's been very good for healthcare staff to be recognized as doing a job that isn't easy and i think going forward that is a very, very good thing for healthcare and will help with the quality aspects of everything. Um, I'm hoping more staff will, um, more normal people will want to come and work within healthcare and, um, you know, and be able to see exactly what we can offer as a business. You know, we do a lot of mental health, learning disability work. It's very interesting work. And one of the main things that we want to do as a, as a business is that we, we want to expand into your Harrogate Leeds. We are just northeast-based at the moment um, and Cumbria, but we, we do want to expand a little bit more. And let's certainly hope that those plans of expansion aren't going to be hindered by the uh, the current period for sure, because it seems like there's some exciting plans there, Joanne. And, you know, I think given how informative it's been having you on the air with us today discussing these issues, it would actually be fantastic to catch up in the next few months just to see how things are getting along and how those hopes of expansion are being borne out. I think that would be fantastic. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Thank you. Yes, it's a shame we don't have more time on the programme this morning. Otherwise, we could discuss those plans long into uh, the afternoon, I'm sure. But uh, I've got to say, it's been a real pleasure, Joanne, having you on the uh, the programme with us. And um, thanks again for taking the time to join us. And most importantly, until we do touch base in future, do take care and do stay safe with all still going on. Because I'm sure, as you both well know, we're certainly not out of the woods with this one yet. Yes, and thank you very much, Scott. Thank you. That was Joanne Wood speaking, founder and director of Primary Care Recruitment. Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst. Um, During his professional career, Sir Jeff scored over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City. But most notably, he remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup competition after his treble in England's 4-2 victory over West Germany at the Old Wembley Stadium stadium 54 long years ago now i hope you enjoyed listening just as much as jonathan enjoyed speaking with sir jeff and that is coming up next uh, we're now joined uh, though by former england footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a world cup final sir jeff first uh, thank you very much for coming on today uh, you're welcome you're welcome good afternoon uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, who, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. 
and I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He um, He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over the years, I guess. He would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you, you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood. And of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that, that caliber, can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players and of course they become your friends who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself was it more was it Peters I think probably well I was very fortunate to play with the colour of the players I did again mm. again extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters who was a fantastic player and some, as far as Martin's concerned I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. What a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bobby Moore. Although he was only uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy with the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, oh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, Sir Alf 
Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially when I say about Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, up naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand. Whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you, it can have a, a great impact on your <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very very strict. Probably at a time it maybe overly strict for the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now but he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group part of a team it is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in your organisation, one thing I have learned and I've taken on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless with that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh... A, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team, or certainly in the squad, and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it, but looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of a group. Um, so that that's that's for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it, only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he, he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Lee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? 
Oh, not for me personally, no. I, I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think mm. I was just happy to be, you know, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out. Mm. So I never really felt, people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people, players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure, pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that, that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that Alf showed. He, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very... I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Um, we have some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realise there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I... I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week, over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. But the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal and I looked round, put my foot on the ball and looked round for a little while and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch. So that's, uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that and saying, yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, have a glance round, you know. Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you in two. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely... But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we... Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay. So I was uh, doing a, a, at a dinner in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about twenty minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening, and there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, uh, and we, 
that you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did. Uh, um, it did but make then again, laugh, if, you put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when this happened when you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you or did you just realise that by, by quick, one way or the other, people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new, a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it, uh, perhaps. Um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time a short period of time but if you look at the 25 26 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone how they've that they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's absolutely astonishing, astonishing. 
And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, well, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, That's a good they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we were successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back on an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't I... when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We had some great players. We had some great players, of course. But without the attitude (laughs) alongside that, going back to an earlier question, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word, the word is team. the word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, Jeff, uh, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But if you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks 
um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's you're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over the go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.